Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God, as we find it written in St. John's Gospel, reading there in the 11th chapter, the 25th verse. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends, in Christ Jesus. And this is a beautiful morning, isn't it? The sun shining in our church windows, and I hope that all of us are glad that we're here and that we are relaxed and that we are ready to worship our Lord. As you heard me say at the lectern, today is known in the Christian church as sexagesima Sunday. Now that big word is simply a Latin word that means the numeral 60. It indicates that now we are about 60 days away from Easter. A sexagesima is the second of three Sundays of that precede Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent. The text that I read this morning is a text that is very appropriate for this time of the church year. And it uh, presents an incident that took place just about three months after the incident that we talked about last Sunday. And both of these incidents took place in the little village of Bethany, where, as you know, live Mary and Martha and Lazarus. You recall that last Sunday I said it was about in November, before Jesus' death in April, that he came to Bethany and he visited the home of Mary and Martha. And you recall the incident that while Martha was troubled about much cooking and serving, that Mary sat at his feet and listened to his word. And then at that occasion, Jesus said to Martha, Martha, one thing is needful. Martha, will you see to it? That one thing will take priority in your life. Above all else, that you hear the word, that you listen to the word, that you open your heart to the word. This incident in our text that I just read took place about three months later. It's now about February of the year before Jesus died in April, and things have certainly changed in this little village home. Lazarus, the beloved brother and the friend of Jesus, has died. Before he died, however, when he was quite ill, Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus, who was across the Jordan, over in Perea, and they sent a messenger to tell him, Lord, he whom you love is sick. And then we are told that Jesus deliberately stayed two more days in Perea before he started for Judea. Then after staying two days, he told the disciples, he said, Lazarus is dead, and he started then to come from Perea across the Jordan back into Judea. And when he came to the edge of Bethany, he sent a messenger to the home to ask Martha to come out and meet him. Evidently, it was a secret messenger. Martha left the home. Mary stayed there. No one knew where she was going. And she came out to meet Jesus, who had not yet entered Bethany. And when she saw him, of course, she burst into tears. And she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. But she said, but I believe that anything you ask of God, a God will do it. And then Jesus said, Martha, he said, your brother shall rise again. And she responded, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then there came from the lips of Jesus this tremendous I am statement. He said it on the edge of Bethany to Martha. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Martha, do you believe that? 
What did he say to her on the edge of Bethany that day? He said, Martha, Martha. He said, will you believe with all your heart that I am the resurrection and the life? That I am the one who will raise up the bodies of all those that believe in me? I will raise their bodies from the grave. Martha, will you believe that? And that I will give to those who believe in me eternal, everlasting life. Martha, will you believe with all your heart that I will do no less than these things? I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, do you believe that? And today in this 20th century, as Jesus speaks to you and me from the Word of God, he calls and he cries to you, and he calls and he cries to me, believe with all your heart, believe it with all your soul, believe it with all your being, that I am the resurrection and the life, that I am the one who will raise the bodies of the Christian dead from the grave, and I am the one who will give them eternal everlasting, unending life. I am the one who will do no less than these. And you know, you and I may stop and as we consider that, we say, you mean to say that he is the one who will raise the bodies of Christians from the grave and that he will give them everlasting, eternal life? And we may find that just a bit difficult to believe. And we may say, isn't that exaggeration? Isn't that bragging? Isn't that overstating something? Is he big enough? Really now, is he big enough? Is he marvelous enough to do that which is utterly fantastic? That's stupendous. To raise the bodies of the Christian dead from the grave and to give them everlasting life? Isn't that just simply stupendous and just a little bit more than you and I can believe? But just as that day on the edge of Bethany, he said to Martha, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. So again, he calls to you and me in this 20th century. And he said, will you believe it with all your heart? Will you believe it with all your being that I am the resurrection and the life, that I am the one who will raise up the bodies of the Christian dead from the grave and I will give them eternal everlasting life? And all because of the fact that he is just that big enough to do that which is utterly fantastic, it's stupendous. It is something that you and I say, why it sounds almost like exaggeration of the worst kind, to raise the bodies of the Christian dead from the grave and to give them everlasting life. We say, oh, how could he ever say anything like that? Was he big enough? You know, this morning we ought to just take time and say, with that tremendous statement, I am the resurrection and the life, is he that big a person? Is he that marvelous that he can really come through and do something that fantastic? Is this truth and not bragging? And in the first place, let's be reminded of this, that Christ is just that big enough. He is just that great enough. He is just that marvelous enough. 
that he can do these things stupendous as they are and again tremendous as they are because remember he was no less than God himself as he stood there on the edge of Bethany when he said to Martha Martha do you believe this remember what her answer was she said Lord I believe that thou art the Christ the son of God that should come into the world in other words she said I believe that you are God's son who came into this world from heaven and he accepted that you and I may say well did he realize that he was not God just because she said that was he deity well he accepted it and if he again accepted it, and if it were not true then you and I would have to say he was a deceiver but let's not forget that Lazarus was in the grave for four days and his body was decomposing and it was smelling and he raised Lazarus from the dead. This was the third resurrection that he had performed. There was Jairus' daughter at the age of 12. When she had just died, he raised her to life. There was the young man at Nain, and they were ready to place him into the tomb when Jesus raised him. And now Lazarus, who was in the grave already for four days and whose body was beginning to smell, there was an odor to it because it was the odor of death. And he raised him that day at Bethany. And therefore you and I can say this, is he big enough that he could get up before the world and to say, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the one that will raise the bodies of all those that believe in me from the grave and give them eternal life. Why, he was no less than God because he raised Lazarus. And therefore, no wonder, he says, believe it with all your heart. I am the resurrection and I am the life. Because being God, omnipotent power is his. There is no limit to his power. And you and I may stand today in this 20th century and we may say, how in the world can dead bones live again? How in the world can a body that has decomposed itself, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, how in the world can he, because he spoke at the edge of Bethany one day, how in the world can he raise the bodies of the Christian dead? And let's realize because omnipotence is his. There is nothing that he can't do. He who by his word created the heavens and the earth is certainly big enough, even though it sounds fantastic, that he will raise the bodies of the Christian dead regardless of where their ashes may be. Because again, he is God. He is omnipotent. And that's why today he calls on you and me as he said to Martha, Martha, uh, won't you please believe this? And he says to you and me, believe it with all your heart. Hold on to it. Never doubt it for the moment. And when we determine to believe that with all our heart, well, then we ought to determine this in, in probing into our hearts. Do I know him as Savior? I wonder how many of us know the difference between knowing him as Savior or knowing him just as an example and just as a teacher. Oh, there are so many that say, I know him as a teacher. He was a fine teacher. He was a fine example. And therefore, I follow him. But you see, that leaves salvation and achievement on your part and mine. But how many of us really know what it means to know him as Savior? Whosoever believeth in me. Do we know what it means to believe in him? Listen, to believe in him means that, first of all, we've got this conviction that we are lost and damned to hell by our life that we stand before him utterly lost and condemned because we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it means this conviction that of ourselves we could never achieve eternal life. We could never rescue ourselves from eternal death and ever achieve heaven. And to believe in him means therefore that we turn to him as Savior. 
having again a conviction that we are lost and we put our trust and confidence in him and that we say, were it not for you, there would be no life. There would be no salvation. My body would not be raised unto heaven, but my body would be raised only for eternal death and hell. That's faith in him. Oh, there's a tremendous difference. I hope you understand. Many a person loves him as a, again, as an example. Many a person loves him as a teacher. But remember, he said, whosoever believeth in me, do you know him as Savior? Old men say, how could anybody stand up before the world and say, I am the resurrection and the life? That apart from him, there will be no resurrection to eternal life, but only a resurrection to eternal damnation. How in the world could he say it? Was he a schizophrenic? Was he a man with a split personality? Did he have hallucinations of grandeur? Or was he given to bragging and to boasting and to exaggeration? Oh, no. No, you see, he was what Martha said he was. He was the Son of God who came into the world who proved it by raising Lazarus from the dead. And when you and I prove and we say to ourselves, I shall hold fast to it, I shall believe it with all my heart that he is the resurrection and the life, that he will do just those things, fantastic though they may be, then we have this comfort that we're never going to awaken to disillusionment. Can you imagine anything more tragic than again to have our bodies raised from the dead only to be raised for eternal damnation? Because we thought he was bragging in that tremendous statement, I am the resurrection and the life. Oh, the comfort of knowing there will be no disillusionment. He who again stood at Bethany and raised the Lazarus who was in the grave for four days, he is the one who said, Martha, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe it? And Martha believed it. Today, oh, this is our enlightened, sophisticated 20th century. And you may say, how can anybody believe uh, that Jesus standing on the edge of Bethany one day made the statement, I am the resurrection and the life. Who did he think he was? You and I may say, when he says, believe it with all your heart and never doubt it, we may say, how can I believe that? Was he that great? Was he that wonderful? Why, that's fantastic. To raise the bodies of the Christian dead from the grave and to give everlasting eternal life, isn't that bragging? Isn't that hyperbole in its most horrible sense? Isn't that overstating the truth? Oh, no. Because, again, let's know this, that he who stood on the edge of Bethany that day and said, I am the resurrection of the life, bear this in mind, that he is big enough, he is great enough, he is marvelous enough to do these fantastic things to be the resurrection of the life, because he was no less than the promised Savior. When he said to Martha, Martha, do you believe this, that I am the resurrection of the life? Martha said, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ. I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that you are the promised one. I believe that you are the Savior that should come into the world. She had a tremendous faith, this Martha, the one that made a mistake one day. But again, this time you are the Messiah. Was Jesus of Nazareth, was this person who on the edge of Bethany that day made a tremendous statement before the world, I and I alone, I am the resurrection, the life, I am the one who will raise up the bodies of all those that believe in me from the grave and give them everlasting life. 
Was he the Messiah? Well, the way to find that out, and it shouldn't be difficult, is to go to the Word of God, the Old Testament. What does the Old Testament tell? How anybody can read Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, and not know that Jesus was the Messiah, I cannot understand, because Isaiah 53 tells us that he was to be a suffering Messiah, that he was going to come and do something about man's sins, man's transgressions. Isaiah, in the 53rd, he says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we were healed. How could anybody mistake him? He was the one that went to Calvary and bore our griefs and our sorrows again. And as David said, Thou wilt not abandon my soul unto hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. His body will not see corruption. You will raise it. The Old Testament said when Messiah comes, he again will be the substitute for the world's sin. He will die as the lamb that is led to the slaughter, and he will rise again. This was the Jesus that was talking to Martha that day when he made that tremendous I am statement. I am the resurrection and the life. This wasn't bragging. This wasn't braggadocio. This wasn't exaggeration. He was just that big and just that wonderful. He was the Messiah who died and who rose again. And therefore, he says, hold on to this. Believe it with all your heart. Believe it with all your soul that I am the one who will raise the bodies of the Christian dead from the grave. Why? Because being the promised Messiah, he has conquered the grave. He arose from the grave and he has conquered Satan and hell. What did Calvary mean? When he arose again, he conquered the grave and brought his own body. That was the greatest and the grandest miracle that he ever performed. And it also means that he conquered Satan and hell. The human race in the grip of Satan, we belong to him because we were sinners and damned. Who was it that atoned for our sins that was Jesus Christ on the cross? And why did he descend into hell? When he descended into hell, we ought to say that he descended into hell and the rafters ought to ring and we ought to say he showed that he was alive, that he had conquered Satan. We are saved and rescued from hell. When he said that day on the edge of Bethany, I am the resurrection and the life, Martha, do you believe this? He wasn't speaking hyperbole. He was telling the truth. He is the one who conquered the grave. He is the one who conquered Satan and hell. There is no reason why he'll not be able to raise the bodies of the Christian dead. Those are the ones that he's talking about here to give unto those who have believed in him everlasting life. And that's why today we ought to say, when he calls on me and says, believe it with all your heart, I'm going to believe it regardless. I'm never going to doubt it, that he is the resurrection life, that these are fantastic things, but these are realities. He's really going to do it because he's big enough. And then we will determine to thank him that when he will raise the bodies of the Christian dead and give them eternal life, That'll be far greater and much more glorious than the raising of Lazarus. You know, we got a lot of questions about the raising of Lazarus, haven't we? We said to ourselves, how about where was Lazarus in this four-day period? On the basis of the Word of God, he was in heaven. Even as when Jesus died, he went to paradise. And you may, we may wonder, did Lazarus remember anything about 
that period when he sold his left his body. See, we aren't told. We aren't told in Scripture. But if you listen to the epistle lesson this morning, Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, Paul talks about something that happened to him. He said 14 years ago, whether I was in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows. He said, I was transported to the third heaven. God gave me, Paul said, a preview of heaven. He got one ahead of time, the great missionary to the Gentiles. And Paul said, I saw things, he said, it's just not lawful for a man to utter. It's not right for me to and I, I don't know what I'd say if I could. He didn't know the language of heaven. We may say, what did Lazarus remember? He was in heaven on the basis of Scripture. Evidently, either he wasn't to say or God erased it for the time being from his mind. But bear this in mind, Lazarus had to die again. Jesus raised him. Jesus had said that his, again, death shall not be, that it shall be just for his death, but for the glory of God and for the glory of God's Son. God allowed Lazarus to die and that Jesus might raise him up on the fourth day with his body smelling that God might be glorified and that the Son would be glorified. When your body and mine, when again our bodies, when we have slept in Jesus, shall be raised, it shall be much more glorious than even the raised body of Lazarus because it means when our bodies shall be raised by him who is the resurrection of life and gives us everlasting life, uh, that's the end of death forever. Death will have died forever and ever. There will be no more death. Bodies glorified. Heaven where I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. That's what it means. Oh, I'm an amazing I am Stephen of Jesus. You wonder, how could he ever say it? He stood on the edge of Bethany until little Martha. He said, Martha, do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe that I am the one? I will raise the bodies of the Christian dead from the grave and I will give those who have believed in me everlasting eternal life. Martha, do you believe that? And she believed it with all her heart. You and I say, but was he that big? This is fantastic. How can anybody in this scientific enlightened 20th century believe that he who spoke on the edge of Bethany can raise bodies from the dead? and give them eternal life. We may say, oh, that's bragging. That's exaggeration, but oh no. He was just that wonderful, just that big, because we also should be reminded of this, that this Jesus, he is big enough because he was no less than the eternal, ever-living, everlasting God. When he said, Martha, do you believe this? Martha said, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, that should come into the world. You are the one that came into this world. In other words, you are the everlasting, the eternal, the unending, the everlasting God himself. When he arose from the dead, what happened? He ascended into heaven, didn't he? And we say he sits at the right hand of God the Father. He rules heaven and earth. He is the eternally living one, never to die again. He died once on Calvary, and that was the death that overcame death. That was the death when death died forever, and he lives. And therefore, because he lives and he rules, you and I can hold on and say, he is the resurrection of life. This isn't bragging. He's going to raise our bodies from the dead because he's coming back again. Who's going to stop him? 
who is going to stop him. He said, I'll be back. And he's coming back, isn't he? Why? Because he's the eternal, ever-living God. He's coming back on the last day. That's when this tremendous I am will be a glorious reality. I am the resurrection and the life when he will speak to them. Oh, all dead will be raised up. But here he's talking about those who have believed in him. I will raise up those who have believed in me from the grave, and I will give unto them everlasting life. And he will. Because he who spoke that tremendous I am on the edge of Bethany that day, he is no less than the eternal God. And because he lives, and because he rules, and because he reigns, he is coming back. And therefore you and I ought to say today, since he calls on me to believe it with all my heart and with all my soul and with all my mind, with all my being, that he is the resurrection of the life, you and I ought to say, this I'm going to hold fast to. I'm never going to doubt it for a moment. I am never going to lose it for one second in my life. But I'm going to believe with all my heart that he is the resurrection of the life, that he will do these things. Then we will determine that with all of our tears for our loved ones in Christ, that they will be tears of hope and not tears of despair. Rather interesting, when he spoke to Martha, Martha went to the house and she whispered to Mary, Mary, Jesus is calling for you. And Mary, there were mourners in the house and she slipped out of the house and the mourners thought she was going to the grave and they followed and then Mary came out to where Jesus was, and she said the same thing that Martha did. Lord, if you had been here, our brother would never have died. And then we are told that Jesus, oh, he groaned within and was troubled. And then the shortest verse in Scripture, Jesus wept. The Greek means he sobbed. He sobbed. He just cried that he shook with Mary and Martha because he loved Lazarus. And because he cried that day at Bethany, there are sanctified tears. Don't you ever feel ashamed of yourself because you cried when a loved one was taken. My Lord cried. He sobbed. He cried so loud he shook. Jesus wept. And then he walked to the tomb and then he said, roll the stone away. And then he stood there, your master and mine, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, who was dead for four days, whose body was stinking, he came forth. There was no smell on that body. He came forth. What a comfort, the resurrection and the life. I, I stood in Bethany late one afternoon, about six o'clock when we got to Bethany, and went down. It's a cave. If this is the one, it's traditionally the one. If this wasn't the one, it surely was one like it. Tremendous cave. You go down to a first landing, a number of steps, and then there are more steps down to a second landing, like a sub-basement. And I walked down to the bottom, and I walked up, and I just imagined what it must have been that day when Lazarus heard his master say, I am the resurrection and the life. Lazarus, come on out. And when he started to walk up those stairs, with again the dust closed, and he walked out. And there he was, because Jesus had said that day, I am 
the resurrection life. And I stood at Joseph's garden in Jerusalem. And when you go there over the door going into the tomb of Jesus, there are inscribed these words, I am the resurrection and the life. Tremendous, aren't they? And when you go to Rome and you stand in the Colosseum at Rome and you realize how many Christians were torn asunder by the lines in the Colosseum, then you go on the Appian Way and not far down the road you go into the catacombs, the underground burial grounds of the early Christians. And you're down there 70 feet underground and they dug these cemeteries with their hands. And you realize that they picked up the torn fragments of their loved ones and went down into the catacombs and they buried them down there because Christianity was an illicit religion. But this is what, oh, it makes your heart feel good even though you stand there and you blubber and you're crying on the wall. I am the resurrection and the life. Those are the Christians. Everything's all right. I am the resurrection of life. And then I've stood at Mount Vernon in Virginia, and I imagine a number of you have been there, at the tomb of George Washington, the father of our country. Those of us who have been there, you know that above, again, his tomb, there are the words, I am the resurrection and the life. The father of our country, not ashamed to have on his tomb I am the resurrection life. He believed those words like Martha. He believed them fervently. Well, then I think as I stand at Mount Vernon, well, then I think here into our country uh, that we have someone like a Madeline Murray who can go up and down this country and vent her spleen against God. Or oh, if she wants to be an atheist, all right. But oh, the report that I read as she is being invited to speak in some of our Christian colleges, uh, that her words are interspersed with much profanity and much blasphemy. George Washington, the father of our country, I am the resurrection of life, what a heritage. And a Madeline Murray being invited as a guest in some of our Christian institutions to blaspheme the name of my Lord to speak profanity, to say unkind things and to curse he who said, I am the resurrection of life. And then I ask this, in the name of academic freedom, doesn't academic freedom have a conscience? Are there no moral restraints on academic freedom? Or does academic freedom mean that you can curse and you can blaspheme your Lord and mine. Then you can be invited in some of our Christian colleges to get up and say so. It's the twilight of something. Thank God you've got a George Washington. Listen, friend, if you ever doubt it, go to Bethany, where he spoke, I am the resurrection and the life. Go to his tomb. Go to Rome, go down in the catacombs, go to Mount Vernon, and then hold on to it for dear life. He is the resurrection and the life. And nothing else matters with our loved ones. You can cry yourself a river, but you can smile through tears and you can say it's all right. Because he who spoke on the edge of Bethany, 
He is the resurrection and the life. And we shall be reunited with our loved ones. We shall spend an eternity with them. And you and I can today walk the glory road. We can thank God that we've got such a tremendous Christ. And we can sing whispering hope like the song of the angels. Jesus, thy love is sweet music. Sweet music to me. I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, do you believe this? Martha? The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keeping unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Thank you.